Dr. Lorenzo T. Neal is a native of Monroe, Louisiana, and current pastor of the New Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Jackson, Mississippi. In preaching ministry for nearly 30 years, Dr. Neal has overcome many challenges, including the tragic death of his mother in 1980 to gun violence. He accepted his call to preach at the age of 12. He was licensed to preach at the age of 16. He was ordained to the ministry at the age of 20 and served as youth pastor and pastor of worship. Since 2001, he was ordained and served as pastor in several churches. Dr. Neal has a BS in music education with a minor in English journalism. He also holds a Master of Divinity, a Master of Liberal Studies, Music Composition, Theory and Rhetoric, and a Master of Education in Leadership and Supervision. He is the humble host of Zira Today radio show. Be Your Differentiated Self podcast on Spotify, author of several published articles and two books. Dr. Neal serves as Dean of Ministerial Training and South Action Chair for the South Mississippi Conference of the 8th Episcopal District. He is involved in a number of community and professional organizations, including the American Psychologists Association, Clergy for Prison Reform, Douglas Leadership Institute, Frederick Douglass Foundation of Mississippi, Intentional Insights Pro-Truth Pledge, Founding Signer of the Prayer and Action Petition, and Senior Fellow with the Evertown Survivor Network. Let's welcome him. Welcome back, Grief Nation listeners. And today on our show, I have a very special guest with us, and his name is Dr. Lorenzo Neal. I first met um, Dr. Neal um, as a fellow at our meeting in Miami. So glad to meet you, Dr. Neal. He is also an author, a coach, pastor, and gun violence survivor and prevention advocate. Hello, Dr. Neal. How are you? Hi, Miami. I'm well, and it's good to see you again. Absolutely. Always a pleasure um, sharing space with you. Can you tell us about your journey um, of being a homicide um, survivor as well as um, a survivor of violent crimes? Yes. uh, When it comes to homicide, I have lost uh, four people in particular. I lost my 25-year-old mother who was killed in the act of domestic violence at the age of 25 in 1980. Um, And that act of domestic violence involved a gun. She had four boys, uh, of which I'm one. And uh, then uh, in 2010, I lost my, one of my brothers, one of her sons to, uh, he was stabbed to death. uh, I think he was 33. Um, I had to preach his funeral. And in 2008, I lost one of my students I was teaching. I was a band director in middle school and um, lost one of my little saxophone players to an act of gun violence where he and his friend were playing around with guns and was accidentally shot by his 
his friends, one of my other students. And in 2016, I lost my 18 year old nephew, Kevin Neal Jr. to a senseless act of gun violence. Oh, I'm so sorry for that happening to you. Um, can you just share with us how, um, you know, being a survivor of all of that, how have you adapted to so much um, trauma behind the losses? Well, I didn't really experience trauma after my mother's death, even though uh, we were we were young. I was five years old when my mother was killed. Okay. Uh, and uh, we were raised by her parents, my grandparents. So they they gave us the environment of love and nurture so much as we were not really, we didn't have the effects of trauma. Now we were traumatized, but mm -hmm. we didn't have any overt symptoms of traumatic emotional damage or anything like that. So we grew up pretty normal. And of course, uh, we, I guess we acted out as normal children, but nothing, mm -hmm. nothing outside of the ordinary with that. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until the loss of this, my student, my brother, and my nephew that I really, because I was older and I really began to understand uh, the trauma that follows tragedy. Yeah. Of any kind. And with the loss of my nephew and my student, my former student, the biggest thing is their age. And because I was a teacher and I was a pastor, uh, I had to serve as, as a grief counselor for the students because we were, at the time when the student was killed, we were doing testing and he had just come into my office and was joking and I said, okay, we're getting out of school early because we're testing. I'll see you at band practice at three o'clock. He never made that band practice. Mm, wow. And I had to deal with the students, their reaction to that. Uh, we did a wonderful tribute as a band at his funeral. The band played at his funeral. When my nephew, um, uh, the biggest issue I had to deal with was, again, the fact that he, he died young. He had a whole lot of potential ahead of him. And I grieved the fact that his life was taken in because I couldn't comprehend that. Mm -hmm. Like I thought, you know, I thought I'd be able to understand it and come to terms with the fact that, yeah, like the old folks say, God, God wanted him more. I, I didn't, I didn't like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that saying, it, it took me a while to deal with that, uh, the the trauma of losing uh, uh, him, and to see his parents go through that grief. Mm -hmm. That that's probably it. Wasn't so much as me. It was more the trauma of what they were were experiencing that I bought kind of brought myself into. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and because you have um, been in ministry over 30 years, and also because there is so um, much complexity surrounding religion and spirituality when someone loses a loved one, can you kind of dive into that as, you know, with your expertise of being a minister and just being, you know, like you said, you've been a um, in ministry for over 30 years. How have you been able to help others um, through that process? Even though, like you said, you you were, um, you know, having to grieve on the outsides, watching your 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 brother help them through this process. Well, uh, religion, 
and particularly the Christian faith for uh, many blacks and many people, but for my experience as, you know, African-American, the church serves as the, as the uh, foundation for the sense of being, the sense of belonging, and the sense of, um, of living. Yeah. And having been in ministry, um, I get asked the question all the time, did I go into ministry because of my mother's loss? I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. uh, I I didn't think about it. I was 12 years old (laughs) when I announced my call to preach and the, my mother's death still, you know, she was, she was dead. That didn't really factor into accepting my call my father's ministry. Uh, and that was the other thing was, was, you know, was there some pressure from him to, you know, like, no, I was raised by my grandparents. There was no yeah. influence on him. Um, and so uh, entering in ministry, I didn't, ha- I didn't enter in ministry because of anything bad, anything traumatic. It was just mm-hmm. an overwhelming sense of a call of God. And the old folk in my community, they used to say, he's going to be a preacher. And, you know, they could see it. Yeah, they yeah, could yeah. see it. So, there was no, I was no drugs, no, you know, I was the perfect kid if you t- if you ask me. <laughs> of course, you know, I was the good boy. <laughs> so there was no, there was no traumatic response or response to trauma that led me into ministry. And mm-hmm. there is, for a lot of people, trauma leads them to right. a greater sense of faith, mm-hmm. greater sense of the idea of needing to be part of the collective body of supportive members of a either a faith community or just any others, you know, even for non-believers, it's the yeah. same. It's that idea of the connected humanity and the connected experience of humanity that reinforces their idea of belonging. Yeah. So for a lot of people who experience trauma, particularly when it comes to gun violence, uh, while they may turn away from the church or the faith community or any sense of uh, religious identity for, for a moment, that's just part of the process in my, from my perspective, you know? Yeah. And when it comes to death, I've, I've been this way for now. I've been taking this approach now for uh, a long time. If you have to push pause on your religious interfere experience uh you know interface and interactions to deal with the trauma that comes with loss and that's just not with gun violence but any loss yeah any kind yeah do it and yeah. it's yeah. not gonna <laughs> i know this sounds crazy coming from pastor but it's not gonna hurt the church right if you spend time to get yourself together so that you can better articulate your faith once you come through this moment of grieving and that's the for me, that's a, the biggest thing, you know, as a pastor, I want you to grow and mature in faith. Yes, yes. I don't want your trauma affecting your faith. Mm-hmm. You can't be a, a, an effective witness or a disciple of Christ when you're overwhelmed by the burden of what you experienced and, and traumatic loss. And I think that's the downside of church because we've conditioned people so quickly that once the funeral is over, you're supposed to be good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you do the funeral, you go to the repast, you eat the good food, you shake everybody's hand, and that's supposed to be it. You're supposed to be ready to go on, but 
for a lot of people that that isn't the case. I had to preach my brother's funeral. I had to preach my nephew's funeral. Mm -hmm. And neither one of those were good for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Particularly after my my brother's funeral, even though uh, everyone complimented me on the on the eulogy. Yeah. I was majorly depressed after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it came to my nephew's funeral, going into that space of knowing that I had to, it was, I was like, oh my God, I can't do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did it. It was well received. And because of his age, young people were there. Hundreds of young people were there. Mm-hmm. And they were, responded well to the eulogy. Mm-hmm. And and I left that place feeling more empty, even though I, you know, I I knew what I had done. I knew he would have been smiling cheek to cheek and all of that. I knew he probably, even if he were alive, if it wasn't his funeral, he probably would come after me and had some nice jokes because he, yeah, yeah. he was no jokes. <laughs> and I had to continue in pastoral ministry, and that was that was probably one of the most. Uh, challenging moments mm-hmm. and I even had one person tell me okay it's been this long pastor you should be over it Oh wow! I hate that. Mm. and now this is a member telling me this mm. and I'm like if it was that easy yeah I'd be fine but you know it's it's not that easy and now anytime I read of anybody anybody but more particularly, uh, young black men, anytime I read of them losing their life to gun violence, it is it's like that that uh, trauma from my nephew is re-experienced. Yeah. And even though I have to preach Sunday after Sunday, I still have to get my mind together mm-hmm. and say, yes, I can do it. And um, this is a part of my both my spiritual identity mm-hmm. and my traumatic, my trauma identity. Yeah. yeah. Thank that you so much sense. for being so vulnerable and talking about that because um, that's real. And that's what the people need to hear um, because so many times um, with my experience in being a part of the gun violence prevention movement, um, you we run across so many different um, types of uh, the loss um, even though it was through gun violence, um, we even just, you know, of course we have victims that are just, we're victimized. So um, trying to have those conversations, even with them to help them continue on and process through as we do the work that we do, um, having you a part of moms is just a gift to us because um, we all need someone with the, with, with that um, guiding, that guidance of um to help us through our faith and um even though you know we all bounce back and forth with me even being a a a grief um specialist um doesn't mean that i don't grieve or or, i I mean i still i had to just really take a break coming off of our our um leadership conference just because you know the talks about it and the constant stories and the you know we kind of hold on to that stuff but we have to have an outlet and a way to be able to um, be able to remove those 
um, thoughts or, you know, because a lot of times we, we carry other, other people's stuff. We hold on to it because, yeah. you know, people look to us, um, especially I'm sure in your position, um, as a pastor and, um, just the work that you do as far as being, um, you know, teaching at the school and everything. So you have all this weight of, of others on you. So can you please share with me some of the things that you do, um, to be able to self care and, um, just be able to support yourself and others? I, I knew that was coming. <laughs> unfortunately, um, I am still learning self care. Um, as, as a pastor, we were conditioned, or I was conditioned, because I was a kid when I began ministry and going into young adulthood. Young adulthood, I was conditioned that I'm supposed to be tough. Yeah. And you know, I supposed to, I'm supposed to be able to bear the burdens of everybody. Mm -hmm. And self caring for self means that you are not truly called or not truly you know faithful or not mm -hmm. truly uh a, a minister so when it came to self-care i didn't do much mm -hmm. and um i i because i always felt guilty for looking after myself wow and it was and it was the same after all the deaths that i experienced with the exception of my mother because i didn't know any better mm -hmm. and the care self-care was provided for me yeah yeah, 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 but after, after in my adulthood, after the loss of my brother and my nephew and the student, um, after their loss, I, I, I took a moment. I, I took a moment briefly to kind of regroup. I didn't travel. I didn't give myself vacations or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, kind of hide away for a day and escape into reading a book or escape playing my instrument or something now i've i've gotten to the point of valuing self-care one because i'm older yeah <laughs> absolutely i want to i want to live a little longer <laughs> right um but i I've, i realized that i can't give quality care mm -hmm. to others if i do not give quality care to myself yeah um so now you know i walk every day mm -hmm. i got my little dude my, my my dog he walks me i don't uh -huh. walk he walks me <laughs> right he takes me on his walk uh-huh uh -huh. um and of course you know there's the physical exercise that i'm getting getting back to mm -hmm. but it's been small things like purchasing a coloring book yeah and 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 color <laughs> literally by going to walmart buying the markers and the colors yeah. and then trying to figure out which color i'm going to use to this and seeing uh, seeing the completed piece, I never. <laughs> and this was especially this year since this pandemic. I've I've gone through two coloring books, uh -huh. but I was so proud of about two or three of them. I had to post them on the ground. <laughs> that's how that's how proud I was. Yeah, coloring. Yeah, yeah. coloring teaches us structure. Um, that's a, a one of the um, not a tactic, but one of the the healing methods um, that I've learned too. What um, using coloring books kind of helps us stay within the confinement of the lines when we may be feeling all over the place. So um, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it also helped. It helped me because um, one, not only did it help, uh, I made ADHD. Mm -hmm. So one, it helped me focus. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> stay on task. 
but uh, I I saw the healing. I felt the healing property mm-hmm. just being able to start and complete it. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that kind of, that is a segue to go right into, um, you're also an author. Can you please share with us um, the works that you've done and how can we find them? Uh, the two books that I've written, one is called A Breach in the Family. And it details, uh, it was actually based off the sermon eulogy for my brother's funeral. Um, and it talks about uh, the aftermath of, of, of trauma and grieving and the silence particularly that happens in a lot of families after the loss of someone if it's to uh, a violent crime in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that when my mother was killed for, for decades, the family just didn't talk about the means of her death. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't fully informed uh, of how she did. We knew she was, you know, shot. Mm-hmm. But the totality of the events leading to her death, we were not informed of them. And I, I was in well into my adulthood before my family, her siblings, actually told me what was leading up to that, what led up to her death. Wow. And, you know, and I, I wrote about that, the silence of, of, of a breach in a family that, that does more damage mm-hmm. than healing. A lot, of, a lot of families, when it comes to traumatic loss and violent deaths, they're like, well, if we don't talk about it as much, mm-hmm. it may make the grief less yeah. and it may make the trauma or the emotions less uh, easier to deal with. And in many cases, many families, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's bridging the family. The other one is uh, it's called Reflections from the Pastor Study. And basically, um, in the Black Church tradition or any church tradition, you have uh, the the uh, the program, the bulletins, mm-hmm. and weekly I would write reflections. Uh, didn't have most of them didn't have anything to do with my sermon for that week, and so it's a collection of that. Uh, that's the second book. Um, but I've written numerous articles, um, both academic and uh, in other, you know, other uh, uh, other areas that I've that I published. Wow! I've kept a blog too, and I, I I I've written about that. Just so, so that, yeah, it just seems like it. <laughs> Just a gift, ta- a gifted talent. That's what you. Who, yeah. That's who you are. So let's also talk about your your advocacy work and um, that you've committed your life to. Uh, share that all those experiences with us, and when you join Moms and, and becoming a fellow. Yeah. So before I joined Moms, um, I in two thousand I started a foundation, a nonprofit foundation called the Rosa Sharon to honor my mother. And that was my first venue into advocacy. Uh, and it was the first of its kind mentoring organization in Arkansas, where I was at the time. And I, uh, I saw a need for this. It was mentoring. The idea of mentoring was still very new. And I saw a need for, for that in the community where I served and pastored. And so we, we started this foundation to and 
empower kids. We matched them up with adult mentors and we trained both of them, the adult and the, and the mentee, on how to be effective citizens. And we dealt with grieving and trauma and all of that even then um, because a lot of kids had, a, had, had that exposure. So we dealt with that. And um, it wasn't until 2015, after the shooting in Charleston, South Carolina, at a mother Emanuel, that I really got involved with uh, the gun violence prevention movement. Uh-huh. And that's only because, again, I was a pastor. Mm-hmm. And Reverend Pinckney is, was an acquaintance uh, of, of mine because through the church, we both pastored in the AME church. Uh, my bishop was his mentor and that was our connection and uh, we we were going to be seeing each other supposed to see each other two weeks following the shooting uh, but that didn't happen um, and Lucy McBath now congressman congresswoman Lucy McBath came uh, to one of our meetings and spoke as from her perspective of losing her son and how she had gotten involved with moms mm-hmm. with our missionary society. And from that, they, that organization said, Hey, we're going to, this is going to be our thing. And of course, being a good pastor, like, I right, sure, no problem. So we had a local meeting and we had uh, a couple from, I want to say they're from Maryland but they were survivor fellows mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they came and shared their story. And I was like, okay. And they told it they were survivors. And I'm like, okay. And that's when I identified as a survivor of gun violence after my mom and my student. So, but still, I was just, I'm only doing this because I'm a pastor and this is the AME thing that happened at the AME church. So yeah, that's the only reason I got involved okay. in 2016. I, there was some, some gun legislation I didn't agree with uh, in the Mississippi State Legislature. So I started advocating against that particular, those particular gun bills by myself. Okay. And so I guess every town caught wind of it and they came in and um, trained us for Advocacy Day. And, and I, that was my first time speaking out as a survivor of gun violence, being recognized as a survivor. And uh, Lucy McBath was there. Ah. And uh, she's like, uh, Pastor, nope, you're not going to be quiet. You're going to talk. You're going to speak. We're going to make sure of it. And I got involved in the Survivor Network. Eventually became a Survivor Fellow and honed my story better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then by the time I, I lost my nephew in 2016, I was advocating already, working with moms. I was sharing my story across Mississippi, wherever I could share it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I did want to add another story, but unfortunately, I had to add another story that included my nephew. But now I use both of their voice, all the voices, yeah, as, as a means of empowerment. Because I want people to see that out of the hundreds of people who are killed every day in gun violence, there's a family that's affected by it. There are friends that's affected by it. And there's 
an entire community that's affected and impacted by it. And while the media focuses on the mass shootings, you know, that, that, and we all should, we shall, we shall be concerned about that. But the hundreds of shootings that happen daily that don't go reported, that may make a 10 second bleep on the evening news. You know, they'll show, they'll show the face of the person who killed and give their little bio and that's it. Yeah. Um, it's my, my job and my responsibility now to say, hey, there's not just a face behind that. There's a story behind that. Absolutely. Yeah. And loved ones that are left behind. And loved ones. Stated. Yes, absolutely. So that that is going to bring us right into. Um, you've talked about your um, your your mother's the foundation, which is what the two thousand rows of Sharon Foundation. How can the community support you in those efforts? Uh, well, that foundation is unfortunately we had to dissolve it. Mm, okay. Um, but. Uh, by me being a pastor now, yeah. uh, the the way I engage the community is to help help them see here in our local community, where mm-hmm. in Mississippi where I live, we we now had uh, gun violence heightened as across the country. Absolutely. During these last uh, several months of the pandemic, and my my goal now. And my advocacy now is to empower the, the these community members to mm-hmm. speak up and speak out, absolutely, and to say, look, if you if, if you know someone has a gun and uh, they have it illegally, they, and they shouldn't have access to it, yeah. report it. Absolutely, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to say, look, we know this person should not have access to a weapon, and they do. That, that report it yeah. and uh, because you can prevent a lot of the gun violence that's happening if you could be just more proactive mm-hmm. and that's where I am now I'm trying to get my voice to be more proactive get my community to be more proactive in mm-hmm. preventing gun violence and not reactive because I was involved in several rallies excuse he wants attention he wants to sit in the windowsill <laughs> that's what he's trying to do uh, <laughs> Um, I was involved in several stop the violence rallies and you know there will only be maybe a dozen or two dozen people there mm-hmm. at these rallies and we're trying to address gun violence and you know, not to knock any other movement but, but Black Lives Matter or anything like that we see hundreds or even thousands come out and I'm like that's great yeah but it's the local movement you know we we got to start here first mm-hmm. and you know we we need to be advocates for life abundant life all together absolutely i was i was just gonna ask you that you know just being a black man in america um now and and from the thoughts of what has like transpired as you stated over the last couple of months with um Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. What what are what are still some of your feelings um, surrounding that? It grieves me. I mean, I just every time I think about those names right now, but I I can think of countless others that Absolutely. don't make media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've heard dozens just this year in 
some rural areas that never will make the news. Yeah, yeah. Um, it grieves me because I, I know what it's like. I've been, <laughs> I've been driving while black in high school. I was, <laughs> I, I share this story. I was frisked by an officer who said I met the, I, I fit the profile of someone who had committed a crime. And mind you, I have these big glasses. <laughs> I have now. I wore blue because blue was just my color. That's what I wore. And and this was during the time of the blood crip thing. I wore blue. I had a trombone case and a big backpack. Uh-huh. Right. And how could I fit the description? I'm walking from school. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. this officer literally, you know, frisked me down as if I was a, a criminal. And I'm like, man. Eh. Wow. I know what it's like to be profiled going into the store. I went into the store one time, this upscale store, and the clerk just followed me around. And like, so what did I do? I bought the most expensive thing I could afford in there. (laughs) And, And then I also know what it's like to have that fear of being pulled over. I just recently, I got pulled over by police. I was so tense. I was afraid. Yeah. I wasn't sure, you know, not because you just just don't know. Yeah. And and the officer was 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 kind and courteous, and I didn't get a ticket or anything. Um, I've forgotten what he pulled me over for, but it's it's moments like that that have that reinforce this idea of what it's like to be a black man in this country. Even in the midst of all the liberties and we have, there's still this this uh this the sense that anything can happen to us. Mm-hmm. And mind you, I'm also conservative. So, you know, where where many of these conservatives are saying back the blue and all that, I'm like, look, no, love the individual first. Yeah. And just and I hate when they bring up the criminal backgrounds or any type of negative narrative that they can find mm-hmm. about a person who has been uh, done unjust mm-hmm. by a system that was supposed to be created to help them, serve them, yeah. protect them. And, you know, you you find anything negative and that's what you're going to push, that grieves me. Yeah. It grieves me there's still no justice in it, well, no arrest for the officers who committed the crime against Breonna Taylor. It grieves me that um, the likelihood that the three men involved with Aubrey, um, I hope the justice is right, but you know, sometimes we get a little, uh, sometimes the justice system gets zealous. Yeah. And, and they just put on a better show. And they can say, well, we did our best. We saw that with uh, Trevon Martin. Mm-hmm. We did our best. But the zeal was just to say that we did something. And that's that's a concern of mine. And when it comes to the idea of Black Lives Matter, I, I, I believe Black Lives I should believe it. <laughs> and we should advocate for it. But in the totality of it, you know, in the totality of the Black, black Lives is what we should present and not just when it's at the hand of a less melanated person. 
Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now you also have a radio show and podcast. Share um, what you do there. Okay. Um, so I've been doing a, a Zero Today radio show for the last 10 years. And we cover a breadth of topics, uh, mostly social uh, social concerns and topics and issues and uh, faith issues, mm-hmm. church issues. I talk a lot about the black church because that's my experience. Yeah. And talk a lot about uh, social issues that uh, are also a part of that community. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been doing that for the last 10 years. And I just launched a new one, new podcast early this year called Be Your Differentiated Self. And that is based on my doctoral research in the area of family systems and differentiation of self. I find myself to be one of the few black folk that <laughs> decided to look into that and explore that and integrate it into not just my, my ministry and counseling, but also into organizational and interpersonal development. So, mm-hmm. What yeah. was your theory for that? Can you break that down a little bit more so I can understand? Differentiation of self? Yeah. yeah. Um, differentiation of self is part of a eight-concept system developed by Dr. Murray Bowen, who has uh, developed uh, uh, the family systems theory and model of counseling. And uh, Differentiation of self is probably the most popular concept out of that. Those eight concepts, and it basically uh, is the idea that a person who is emotionally intelligent about themselves, mm-hmm. uh, they 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 can have a more uh, a, a better sense of interpersonal relations, the ability to be able to communicate their emotions and react more positively to negative interactions with so if you and i had a fault you know we had some words mm-hmm. uh the highly self-differentiated individual would take those words and instead of react negatively and go off on the handle or cut you off or block you or anything like that is able to understand you know the emotional self and respond in, in kind so mm. uh the the I used it in regards to ministry as mm-hmm. as an organization, the church as an organization, and how clergy can be better self, you know, more emotionally intelligent, and in turn teach their members to be more emotionally intelligent. Yeah, yeah. that sounds uh, very interesting. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to love to hear from you with this. What is your call to action um, here today? Uh, in this. In this moment, my call to action is to be informed and and uh, be and ready to vote. And I say that particularly, uh, this is a critical election. Every election is critical, whether it's local, municipal election, your state election, or in this case, federal election. It's very critical. What is your call to action today? In this moment, my call to action is to be prepared to vote. Um, and I say that because um, every election is critical, but this is a critical election, particularly for those who have been impacted by gun violence. Um, we did see a surge in persons purchasing guns for the first time. We've also seen a surge in 
uh, gun violence across the spectrum of this country. And we've also seen how uh, gun legislation, responsible, sensible, common sense gun legislation has helped when it comes to preventing gun violence. Mm -hmm. And so I would strongly encourage persons to be informed of candidates. And if you can, uh, vote for those candidates who are gun sense minded, you know, not just being a gun owner myself. You know, I don't want just want somebody to say they're going to protect the Second Amendment. No, I want you to do a little bit more than that. If you can prevent, if you can create legislation to prevent the loopholes, if you can create legislation to ensure that persons who should not have guns like felons or persons with severe mental uh, deficiencies, those persons should not have access to weapons. The other thing is, I would uh, say be smart. And um, this is probably one of my biggest things. Because I lost a student uh, to gun violence, accidental shooting, uh, and because I'm a gun owner, one of my things is I want people to, to make sure that they are smart. That is, make sure that if they have a weapon that is secure, uh, secure in their homes, their, their cars, wherever they are. Also, that they should model uh, responsible guns behavior. So, so that if they have children, like I grew up around guns, I knew what to do. My grandfather taught us well. Mm-hmm. But they should also re- model that if they're going to go out for sporting sh- sports shooting, you know. Yeah. I don't how it should be. Um, and if they're going to have the children going over to the houses, ask, don't be afraid to ask if that person has uh, a weapon in their house, if that weapon is secure, um, you know, if that weapon not only secure, if it's loaded. Yeah. And um, if it's not secure, could they secure it before my child or I come over? Then uh, recognize um, that in this day and age, in this pandemic, there there's an increasing, unfortunate, uh, a lot of people are uh, uh, using guns for suicide. And you got to recognize that. And with young black Americans, young black males, unfortunately, and young um, black period, uh, are uh, unfortunately, suicide by gun is becoming uh, almost the norm mm-hmm. and we need to be aware of that and we need to be able to prevent that talk to our children talk to anyone about it and uh, the last thing is tell everybody else just be smart you know not just for it's not just for kids be smart is a wonderful tool for, for kids but for adults for persons like myself who are gun owners, for persons who are not gun owners but know people who are gun owners and mm-hmm. may know that they're not secure and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's very critical. It's a beautiful reminder of the things that we should do. Um, like you have um, stated, you know, by using the acronym of it, it's just a beautiful reminder of the things that we don't think about. Because I did not think about at any point in time when I sent my children um, over to friends or family to even 
you know, ask about guns, but, you know, through the research and, you know, all of the amazing programs um, because of uh, the prevention of gun violence, we are learning these things now, which is great because I, I, I drill my daughter all the time because I have three grandchildren and I drill her all the time. Where are they going? Have you asked about it? And it's like, you know, what I found is people are kind of, you know, that's a difficult conversation to have about somebody else's house, but I'd rather you have that difficult conversation than me hearing any um, news of, you know, an unintentional shooting or, you know, so um, it's just a good reminder of what we should do as you stated. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, I I know we don't, we don't want to have those difficult conversations, but we have to. Absolutely. Uh, Especially, in this day and age, when children are home, uh, many are attending school virtually, uh, but they still want that social interaction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we it's just it's just more pertinent now than ever before. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's next for your journey? As in, in the words, the old uh, old song, "Where he leads me, I will follow." <laughs> okay. Um. I just, my whole purpose and in life is to empower others, to help others be liberated. If the Lord would have called me home today, I think I'd be okay knowing that I've done something positive and empowering and liberating in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, wherever the road takes me, because I never expected to be in this place now. Yeah. You know, yeah. Wherever, wherever the road takes me. Oh. And I will always uh, be a voice for the oppressed if they, are, if they are there. And always be an advocate for humanity. Absolutely. Um, so can you um, just share how can others reach you? What are your social media platforms? Okay. Well, the best place to reach me is my website okay. lorenzotneal.com go there buy a book or two <laughs> um listen to you can listen to the podcast the radio show all on that that platform lorenzotneal.com i'm on facebook uh you can go to dr lorenzo t neal you find me there because uh, my personal page is already full yeah. uh on the instagram it's Pastor Zo seven five on Instagram. Don't ask me why. It's just, <laughs> it I saw people being creative with the names, so <laughs> so that's what it is. Huh? That's what it is. What it is, you know. <laughs> so uh, can you? Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and on Twitter, I'm on Twitter at Lorenzo T Neal on Twitter. So yeah, go follow. Thank and you. I have a, a YouTube page channel. Um, it's Doctor Lorenzo Neal YouTube. I, I post sporadically, you know, I'm not a big YouTuber. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to post every now and then. I need to put something up to make it yeah. a little, look halfway recent. Now, but, now, uh, is, your, is, your, is your podcast, any of them, are they actual live video or is just, you know, it's just uh, audio? Uh, mostly audio. I'm trying to get to the point where I can integrate the, edit, the video. Okay. You know, be all sophisticated. Uh, <laughs> I took a Skillshare class for that. Okay. All right. Now, <laughs> now, now, so are any of your podcasts located on your YouTube channel? Um, any of the segments of your podcast or radio show there? 
Well, you can find. I, I've done a few radio okay. shows on the okay. YouTube, so you can go and listen to it. I don't know the quality of it because, uh-huh. like I said, you know, it's, I. <laughs> YouTube I had a is such a great resource for you know everything so yeah. i definitely love to make sure i promote you wherever you are but majority of your information is stored you're stating on your website correct? yeah uh yeah you go to my website lorenzotinio.com another plug absolutely and, and there there are pages that that have all of those okay. um there okay yeah because I, I you know i try to be humble <laughs> Oh no! Look, the purpose. Of, let me tell you, and I try to get people to really understand this. When I when I bring on um, my featured guests, I want them to share all of the amazing things that they're doing, and I definitely want you to plug yourself, plug, 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 because it is so imperative that we share, you know, where we come from in that journey into where we are, and because a lot of times we don't know who may listen. At any given time, you you know, your words are so inspiring and encouraging um, to the point that this may change um, that person's um, view of what their grief journey looks like and how they can do something differently. So um, I definitely want them to be able not only to receive from me, um, receive from my amazing guest that has been chosen to come on to the show to shed their light on how, you know, they've moved through this process and became so resilient and then um, found what their purpose is, um, you know, out of this whole entire thing, you know, because with just all of this. And I usually talk to individuals that have just lost one child or, you know, a a sibling or something, but you've had a lifetime um, of losing loved ones. And I think it is so imperative that people see you in the light that you're in after experiencing so many losses and that you're still able, you know, to move on and move through. Um, So I'm, I'm grateful to share your, to share you as a resource and bring you back on at any given time. If you're um, having something that you want me to promote. Thank you. I appreciate you're al- it. You're always welcome. Always welcome. Appreciate um, it. Can you leave us with um, uh, any memories of your lost loved ones and um, so that we can um, have that sense of uh, imagery about how amazing they were? Well, from what I gathered with my mom, my mom was 25 years old. She was uh, uh, LPN at a local hospital in my hometown and also a waitress at the juke joint across the street from her parents' house. Uh-huh. So you know that was fun. <laughs> um, but she she was she was uh, the type of person who was outgoing as best she could. And I've been told I'm more like her than any of, of her other sons. I don't know how true that is, but um, she was warm, caring, and it was, it's sad that she lost her life so young. Um, with my brother, Emmanuel, the Lord rest his soul, that that dude was a character there. That's all I can say. He was a character. <laughs> Hard to be around. Also, when my um, my student on trail, uh, he was only 14 when his life was taken by an act of gun violence, uh, accidental gun shooting. But he, you had to see him. He was starting to grow his little braids, you know, and little dreads. And he was a fun little saxophone player. And the, the last memory I have and the funniest memory I have was him coming to the door of the band room saying, Miss Neal, what's up? I said, it's up. School's going to be out, but I better see you at practice at 3 o'clock. <laughs> and he had to smile. And with my nephew, 
I don't know what all I can say about him. That kid, you just have to see. He had big ears, big smile. And of course, every every teenager is an aspiring rapper. Mm-hmm. So he was an aspiring rapper. Uh-huh. And um, sometimes I did not like uh-huh. what he was rapping about. Of course. And, you know. <laughs> and um, he just had the the best personality just a drawing personality very charismatic um and i hate that those persons took that light out yeah i i want to b- before i let you go i know that your family um was with kevin your nephew um they do some amazing things um for his death anniversary or um just anniversaries Let, can you talk about that because i don't want to miss out on the opportunity of the things that you guys do there yeah so the first year uh not the first year but uh on his birthday the year after several months after he passed he passed in october his birthday is in july in july following his his death mm-hmm. we had a big cookout and i mean big cookout and most of the hood came out for that and so they that has been become the norm every july 20th is something been is done big a mm-hmm. uh, big celebration for him and this year um, we were able to get sponsors and we did free lunch giveaways free food giveaway uh on his birthday and of course they partied and they had a good time um and they also celebrate his life every year they go on his birthday they go and they they make his his resting place uh a happy place all right yeah, yeah. thank you so much for sharing that so um I'm going to ask a question and you just fill in the blank for me. Uh, Grief is. Grief is a period of learning who you are and what you can handle. And grief is not. Grief is not the end of a memory or life. Love that. Love that. Love that. Love the way you stated that. Um, Before I let you go, what has your attention being a leader in your community that you would like to see change or bring further awareness to? Uh, My biggest thing is when it comes to young black men, empowering them to be emotionally intelligent and less reactive and be more uh, resilient to change and trauma that may experience in their life so that they can better react and not negative react but better react and develop the type of interpersonal skills so they can um, be empowering and I I know I use that word a lot but that's the only word I can think of Hmm. self-empowering instead of uh, self-devastating self-killing and all of that I don't know any better words to use. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's absolutely perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, for coming on to It's the Miami Night Show and sharing your journey, sharing the insight, sharing, um, you know, just the wealth of knowledge that you've been able to pro- to provide to my Grief Nation listeners um, of 
all the things that you have done to be able to um, move through this process of grief. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, there you have it, Grief Nation listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another transformative segment on It's the Miami Night Show, Grief Talk. Today, we give thanks filled with love and gratitude for our special guest, Dr. Lorenzo T. Neal, for expressing your very unique grief journey and sharing ways of understanding the healing process. This is your girl, Miami Knight, with much love and light until we connect again spiritually. Bye-bye.